Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is July the 29th, and our passage for today is the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, and the story of the great transfiguration of Jesus the Messiah. Before we do that, I want to give you the context and the setting of this particular passage. All of this took place in northern Israel, very near the Lebanese and the Syrian borders. They all come together here not far from where this would have taken place. You see, the Lord Jesus had most of his three-plus years ministry along the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Now, just from a meteorological and geographical standpoint, let me tell you about that region. The Sea of Galilee, of course, is 700 feet below the Mediterranean Sea. So it is like a basin. Now, this uh, lends itself to beautiful, wonderful weather in the rainy season, what we would call the wintertime. But let me just tell you from one who has been there throughout the year at all the different seasons, August, July, June, and even parts of May can become almost unbearable at times, especially July and August and early September. Now, by that I mean, whatever the temperature is, the relative humidity will be close to that. And that means that it's hot all the time. It's muggy all the time. I have been in Tiberias in the summertime when it is almost as hot after dark as it is during the midday. It seems like that it doesn't cool down whatsoever. Having lived in the West, I'm talking about on the West Coast for a period of time, and beautiful San Diego in that desert climate, it is hot during the day, but the humidity is very low. Many times I would drive from our home in Rancho San Diego in the El Cajon, Granite Hills area, East County, I would drive in to downtown San Diego where the church I served uh, was located. Often I would hear uh, the meteorologist talking about 15 to 20 percent humidity expected for that day. Well, that is just unheard of. It's dry as a chip. This is why the fires many times will have great leeway in those western states is because of the dryness and the lack of humidity. You could never say that, never say that about the Galilee, especially around the uh, area of the Sea of Galilee. Now, why am I telling you that? Because in the summertime, it is miserable. It is hot. You just sweat just, just sitting there. And often the crowds would press in upon Jesus. Now, it's interesting that in America, whatever vocation you're in, but let's just take the ministry since we're dealing with the Bible. In the ministry, many times we look for a slow time, a time when there's not much going on that we can get away as pastors or staff or our people for a week, maybe two, but that's during the lull times, during the slowdown times, if we can find one that's less hectic than another. 
If you will notice, that's the opposite of when Jesus took his time off and vacations, and he did. That's what he was doing in the north. He was taking time away. If you look at what the Bible says, it says not when the crowds went away and Jesus was experiencing a downtime did he go away. But if you'll notice, when Jesus slipped away to pray or to get away was when the crowds pressed in upon him. When the ministry was intense, when everything was beginning to really blow up in a good way, Jesus would many times get away. Now, why did he do that? What would be the reasoning and the rationale behind that? Is there a spiritual reason? Well, I believe so. You see, when the crowds are pressing in upon us and everything is at a fever pitch, it is amazing how often we can make poor decisions. That's right. Because we are going off the fly. We're going off of our intuition. Even though Jesus' intuition was absolutely perfect like everything else, he was still setting an example for us. And so let me just say to you that if you feel the crowds pressing in on you and you feel the pressure beginning to build, many times that's the time to take a day off, spend it not on the golf course in recreation, but on your face before God in prayer. Get out and walk. Get out and find some place that will be a different temperature. Maybe if you're close to a river, you're close to a high place, or you're close to a mountainside or a hilltop, go and if you can find a breeze, let it blow in your face and listen to the voice of God. All I'm telling you is that Jesus was not only God, he was fully man. And as a man, he felt, he had emotion, he was tired, he got hot, he was cold, he would get wet, all of the same things we experience. He and his disciples many times would go away north. We have them going north more than once. Why? Because again, you take 700 feet below sea level in the summertime, and if you've ever been to Disney World in July, you know what I'm talking about, and put that on steroids, and you've got an idea of what the Sea of Galilee is like in July and August. And so Jesus would steal away to the north. And as he went away, he would teach his disciples along the way. And the area of Caesarea Philippi, which was the area, remember Matthew 17 follows Matthew 16, where the great confession of Peter was made. Where was that? In the region of Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is called Banyas today. Banyas is 1150 feet above the sea level of the Mediterranean. It's at the foot of the Mount Hermon range. And that means that it is approximately 2,000 feet difference between where Jesus was on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and Banyas in the region just above it. And so it would have been cooler. It would have been drier. And so there were physical reasons for Jesus going away. But mainly it was a spiritual reason because it was there that the scripture 
We'll take up on the scripture in verse 2 of chapter 17, where it says, And he was transfigured. Where did this happen? On a high mountain. Now, this means, no doubt, Mount Hermon. I do not believe, as many in the Roman Catholic and other traditional churches believe, was Mount Tabor. It just doesn't fit the chronology of the Gospels and the Gospel setting. And it all sounds nice. It's just not the kind of thing that fits the biblical narrative. I believe that it was in the Mount Hermon region. Now, Mount Hermon itself, this high mountain, is actually a range. And up on the Lebanese, Israeli, Syrian border, you have Mount Hermon peaking out at 9,200 plus feet in elevation. This is a very high mountain. So somewhere in one of those high mountains, way above everyone else, Jesus, it says, was metamorphosized before them. He was transfigured, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as snow. And look at verse 3. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them. To who? To Jesus to Peter, James, and John, that inner circle of his. And the scripture says that Elijah appeared to them, talking with him, and uh, Moses. That is two key figures in the Old Testament. And Peter answered and said unto Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. In other words, he was interrupted. He was interrupted by a voice that suddenly came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him! Exclamation point. In other words, you need to stop talking and start listening. Boy, is that just a word to Peter? Is that the word to all of us? And so it is a word to all of us. And it says... When the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces, and they were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and do not be afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now, in another gospel, it says what they were talking with Jesus about. It says they were talking to him about his decease, about his death. Now, the word that is used in the Gospels for this is the word echodas, that is his exodus, his way out. You see, death for the child of God is not the end, it's the way out. It's the way out of suffering. It's the way out of temptation. It's the way out because when God says it's time to come home, that means he is going to lead us through an experience that will be so miraculous that the echodos, the exodus from Egyptian bondage through the Red Sea will look like a Sunday picnic kind of thing. You see, the resurrection of the dead is promised to every child of God. But the moment that we die, we close our eyes in death, but we do not cease to exist. It is just the way into a new existence. And for the child of God, we wake up in paradiso, in the beautiful garden of God.
And so all of this happened with these men, these three in the inner circle, witnessing it all. And this was something that Peter brought up in the book of Second Peter when he was talking about just how important it is that we read and study the Word of God as the very words of God because he said, we were eyewitnesses of His glory. Read Second Peter chapter 1. He said, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, of his glory. We saw the Son of God in his glory on the holy mountain. But look what Peter went on to say. He said, we have a more sure word of prophecy, a more sure word that we can lay hold of than being an eyewitness to his majesty and glory. He was talking about the Bible. That's the context. He was talking about the words of Scripture. That's the context. Second Peter chapter 1. He was talking about how that men of old, the writers of Scripture, were lifted up and carried by the Spirit of God, superintended so that what they wrote down were the very words of God indeed. And he said the words that we have in the Bible are more sure than the words of an eyewitness. Have you ever been to court? Have you ever heard the testimony of witnesses that saw the same thing, many times standing side by side, sometimes from a different angle, but sometimes side by side, and how they witness the very same thing, but they bear witness of what they saw, and it is different. Sometimes slightly different, sometimes greatly different. But details were left out. Some details were added. And many times you would think that they are describing two different events, and they saw it at the same time at the same place. You see, eyewitnesses are important. But eyewitnesses can be mistaken. Peter said the word of God never makes a mistake. It is a sure word of prophecy. More sure am I that the Bible is the truth. It doesn't just contain the truth, but it is truth. I'm more sure of that than being an eyewitness of God's majesty and the person of Jesus the Messiah and seeing him on the holy mountain. The word of God is even more sure than that. As you read through the Gospels, just know that these are not just narratives of someone recounting the life and memory of Jesus, but according to the Gospel of John, Jesus said, I'm going away, but if I go away, I'll send a paracletos, one called alongside to help, one called alongside to encourage, and he will bring all things into remembrance whatsoever I have commanded you. In other words, the Gospel accounts are not just based upon the faulty memories of those men who wrote them down, but they're based upon the Spirit of God who always knows everything and reminded them to write down the events accurately. We have a word that we can trust. We have a Savior that we can trust. We can't trust in ourselves, but we can sure trust the Word of God. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at tonycrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at tonycrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.